This morning when I woke up, um, I hadn't quite finished my sermon. I've been trying to be more organised recently and work on it earlier in the week. Hadn't quite finished and I got up to pray about 5.30 and I walked out the door of my bedroom and stepped on a poop. And that's a fact. Our dog has never done that before. But decided to lay one right in the doorway. It was dark. Not just one, several. I stepped on that poop and, you know, anyway, horrible moment. <laughs> Realising, looking around with the light of your phone, there were others. And um, it's disgusting. And it wasn't one of the usual solid ones you can just pick up. <laughs> Too much information, well. What do you do with a situation like that? You clean it up. It stinks, it's horrible, it's messy. You don't want to clean it up, but you do want to clean it up. Well, I'm talking today about sin. I'm going to talk, my subject today is, why is sin so loathsome? Um, I thought it was ironic, whatever, that the Lord gave me that living illustration on the day that I was to talk about the loath, loathsomeness of sin. People don't think sin's all that serious. They make jokes about it, you know, oh, they talk about sinful, eat, how sinful it is to eat chocolate and stuff like that. So people don't take the seriousness of sin properly. It's, it's deathly serious. Who that I just mentioned, I know it's a terrible way to start a sermon, but it does get your attention. We don't like, it's disgusting, but that's about the extent of it. Sin is disgusting but it's a lot more things than that. So we'll just get your attention with that horrible illustration, but we're going to move right into I've got six pages and notes and no time to cover them all, so I'm going to go. And we're going to move right into the Bible. We're going to go to 2 Samuel 12, verse 5 to 19. This is the story of when David had committed sin with Bathsheba and then had killed her husband to cover it all up. So this is a, an adultery and a... It's actually a multiple murder. Actually, 11 men died as a result of this, not just the one. You can read the story. If you don't know the story of Bathsheba, go to 2 Samuel 11, read that story there. This is the follow-on from that. This is where the prophet of the Lord went to King David to confront him, painted a kind of a hypothetical situation, which was the situation that he had done. David said, that man deserves to die. He must pay four times for what's been done. All of that. We're going to go to the basically the aftermath of the story we're going to read here. This is sin in the Bible at work and some of the things that we're going to start to see about sin this morning. So David had just heard, you know, about this hypothetical situation about someone else's sin. It was actually his own sin. He did not know he was talking about his own sin. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, which was, of course, himself. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah and if this were too little, I would add to you as much more." Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? 
You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbour, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. It's a terrible, terrible story. And that child that died was the first of four of David's sons that died horrible and untimely deaths. And if you remember back a little bit earlier, David said, he shall pay fourfold for what he has done. Remember that? That was David's measure. Four, if you go through the history of the, the kings, four of David's sons died untimely and horrible deaths. This little baby didn't do anything to deserve it, was the first of the four. And um, we're going to hit a few little bits of David's life that are going to follow. But sin is a hideous, hideous thing. I'm just trying to find my notes. My, the photocopier wasn't working this morning, so I've been stuck with my phone. Couldn't print out my sermon. Um, David's sin in his own life had wide-ranging repercussions. People think that when you sin, um, no, people know that certain sins have wide-ranging repercussions. Like if you murder someone, for example, they know that that sin will reach out and change someone else's life. You know, they're dead, they're gone, and it'll change their family because they're affected. And they know it'll affect you because your future will be affected, you'll be in jail, all sorts of things will happen. So people know that some sins are like that. What they don't realise is that all sin is like that. All sin, there's no such thing as the harmless sin. So we've got this example in the Bible of David's sin, which is very wide-ranging and affecting. And we're going to see some examples later in his life of that, how it affected him. But all sin is like that. You know, some people say, oh, you can do whatever you want as long as it only affects you. But there actually isn't any sin like that. The very nature of sin is that it doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone. It affects all the people around you. In fact, it affects, I guess theologically from a, from a technically, technical perspective, it affects all of creation when you sin. And um, so, we can, look, we can look at you know, that example of David and we can see how his sin affected his life. And we all think it, would, it just did that because it was a big bad one. But what we don't realise is that all sin is like that. There's another story, a follow-on story in David's life, and it's in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 20 to 22. And I'm not going to go through all the background of all the Bible stories um, but this story comes out of a time later in David's life where one of his own sons just tried to basically rise up and take the throne off him. So this is the son called Absalom. David had a lot of sons. 
This is back in the period, you know, where kings had multiple wives and the world's quite different to the way it is now. And the gospel, thank God, has worked away in the world to get rid of some of that strange stuff. But it's in the Bible because, not because the Bible's saying that's okay, it's in the Bible just because that's what happened. So the Bible, just because it mentions things, doesn't mean it's an endorsement of those things. Sometimes they just get mentioned because they're history. And so David had multiple wives and had a lot of sons because he had multiple wives. One of these sons was Absalom, and at a certain point in Absalom's life, he decided to rebel against his father and take the throne. And there was a mutiny, and David had to flee for his life. And this story comes out of that whole passage. And um, I encourage you to read your Bible and read these stories. Um, if you want even more interesting information on it, go watch my Bible videos from all the way through 2 Samuel. Very, very interesting things you can learn about all of these stories. So there's this moment when Absalom and his army are coming into Jerusalem. David's in Jerusalem with his much smaller army and they have to flee and get out of Jerusalem. And David decides to leave 10 of his wives, or you know, his sort of wives, concubines, in the palace to look after the palace. We're not going to go into, you know, I'm not going to go into detail, but parents may need to talk to their children to explain some of these things. But we have this little story right here in 2 Samuel 16, verses 20 to 22. Absalom's trying to get advice from uh, an advisor. This particular advisor, Ahithophel's a very intelligent advisor, very political, knew exactly what to do for political gain at any moment. David actually prayed to turn the advice of Ahithophel to foolishness. That's in another part of the story. Absalom says to Ahithophel, give your counsel, what shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And that was actually in the prophecy of Nathan. Remember Nathan came and said, what you've done in private will come back to you in public. So that, this is the fulfilling of it here. Ahithophel gave this advice. This isn't righteous advice. This is just political advice. Absalom went and did this thing as a political stunt or political maneuvering to show all of Israel that I am the king. So if you, the wives of a king were considered the king's property, if you take a king's wife and you do what he did with them, you're saying I'm the king. And that's why it was highly treasonous. It was, they did it on purpose as to send a message to all of Israel, I'm the king. And uh, we talk about all of that in the Bible videos. Now this particular chapter, when I was doing 2 Samuel 16 in my Bible videos, I found a page online with a, a woman who was highly offended that God would declare this particular judgment against David. This woman was so offended and she had written this whole page about how unfair it was that these ten women who didn't participate in David's sin had this act thrust upon them, like perpetrated against them and she had written a very angry article. She was presumably a believer but didn't understand the nature of sin. And this is the point I guess I'm trying to explain today with a very vivid illustration, is that what happened to those 10 women was unfair. 
they didn't participate in the sin of David and the thing that happened to them was completely unfair. That's what sin does. That's the nature of sin. It's so unfair. Yes, those women should not have had to go through that. But because David sinned, they did. And um, the more, you know, as I read that article by that woman who was highly offended, I was trying to think, because you know, there didn't seem to be a good answer. And her problem, her real problem was not as much that it happened as the fact that Nathan the prophet came and said that, would, that it would happen. So it seemed very much to this woman that God was doing it. But the more I thought about it, I realised, no, God wasn't doing it. God just knew what was going to happen. God wasn't now judging these ten women because of this person's sin. God just knew the nature of sin. God knew how it was going to play out. And so God was just telling David in advance, this is the repercussions of what you've done. And um, it's a bit like when someone at school does something that's horrible and, they, and it's, it's worthy of being expelled from the school and they go home to their mum and dad and they're talking about that night and their dad says, you know you're going to be expelled. It's just like that. It's not that the dad is actually making it happen by his words. It's just that's the way it is. So when Nathan the prophet came and said, what you did in private is now going to happen in public, that's just what it was. So these poor women, and I do sympathise with them, and I do pray that that lady that wrote the horrible article would just come to see that sin is horrible. That the, the anger that she feels about that injustice, that's the anger we should have towards sin because that's how loathsome sin is. When you sin, you pour pain and agony on the world around you. And it's not fair. It's not fair that that's the case, but that's one of the reasons why God hates sin so much. We've always heard that God hates sin because he doesn't like what it does to you. That's true, but that's not the only reason why. God hates sin because it's just unfair and it ruins things. So God wasn't just deciding how to punish David and, and saying all these punishments. No, God was just, through the prophet Nathan, was just saying what would happen. And if the more you think about this, you, the more you realise it's so true. If you go right back to creation at the very beginning of the world, the world was perfect. Nothing wrong with the world. But it took one sin, the world was ruined. Now we don't notice it now. If you commit a little sin, you don't notice that the world is ruined because it's already ruined. You don't notice, like, you don't notice the effect of your sin and your behaviour because it's already so prevalent everywhere. But if the world was perfect and there was nothing wrong and you were the first person to sin, that would be the effect of your sin, would be to destroy and ruin everything all around you. That's what sin does. It's horrible. So we've got, you know, the story of Adam and Eve and in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, I'm going to read these few verses. 
The Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. In my, my version I was reading last night, it said you will certainly die. Surely die, certainly. It's not like, you know, we think it's a metaphor. We think, oh, they didn't really die. No, they died. They died. Something horrible happened in that moment. He was dead. Now, he may have been still walking physically, but he was as dead as dead. We don't think of death the way God thinks of death. We think of death in terms of physical death only. But no, there's something else about us as people that determines whether we're alive or whether we're dead. And from God's point of view, that's the real life and that's the real death. And your body is a separate thing to it. And in any case, his body started dying as well. It wasn't just that he died, his body started dying right then in that moment as well. And each one of us will physically die, but I can tell you what, every little child that's born into this world is born dead. You think they're born alive, no, they're born dead. They have to find the life of God. That's what being born again is all about. But until you're born again, you're not alive at all. You could say you're a zombie. You're the walking dead. You could say that. I know there's all lots of weird zombie stuff out there, but it's a kind of an illustration. And um, people who are like that, dead in their sins, they are walking filth and it's loathsome. God loves them all at the exact same time, completely loved. But it's a bit, to say to someone that God loves you is easily misunderstood because they think, oh, I don't have to do anything. That's not true. God's love doesn't count for anything if they're dead in their sins. God gave his son Jesus Christ to save them because he loves them, but if they stay dead in their sins, his love will count for nothing. If your child walks out on the road and gets run over by a truck, it doesn't matter how much you love them, they're dead. God's love counts for nothing if people stay in their sins. So you can say to people, God loves you and he has a plan for their life, doesn't mean a thing. If they, if they take those words as a kind of, oh great, I don't have to do anything, God loves me, no, nah, they're going to be doomed. That message isn't going to help them at all. So that's why we talk about repentance. We talk about coming to Christ and confessing our sins and finding forgiveness, making him the Lord. We talk about all these things because salvation is in Christ, not just relaxing and saying, oh, he loves me, I'll be fine. So sin is certainly loathsome. So we get to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. That's the next chapter after this. And um, he said to Adam, this is God, because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Some people think that, you know, because Adam sinned, now God cursed him. No. God is simply declaring what has happened because of the sin. The actual act of bringing sin into the world changed the world. 
I call this climate change. I know there's a lot of talk about climate change. In my, in my thoughtful opinion, I've thought about this a lot, all the things that go on with the climate now, you know, we all still discuss how significant they are and what, how much involvement people have to do with it, all of that. We, there's a lot of discussion. In my mind, they're just small variations of climate change compared to the original moment that the climate changed. The world was actually good once. And we look around at it, we th we're still amazed by the world. We still think the world is amazing, but it's actually not amazing in comparison to what it was. The climate changed. Sin in the world changed the world. Is it man-made? You betcha. Is climate change caused by people? It sure is. And when you look at climate all the way through the Bible, which I've done in recent years, from a spiritual point of view, every time sins increase, things like droughts happen. When, when people pray and repent, the rain comes. Do our spiritual attitudes and values and does our walk with the Lord affect climate? You bet. So is there science behind it? Yeah, sure there's science behind it, but there's also spiritual things behind it too. It's not as simple as just one thing. So sin is bad because when you sin, it affects things around you, even the climate. It affects the people around you, as has happened in David, David's life. And you think about Adam and his sin, it affected the world so completely that the climate changed, but then it proceeded to affect every single little person that was born into this world, and that's just not fair. It's completely unfair, but it is. That's what happens, and that's one of the reasons why sin is so loathsome. That's why God hates it so much, why God had to send his son to redeem us, because it's just a curse, it's a blight, it's a virus, it's a soul-destroying virus. I talked last week about leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin, but sin's a whole lot more than the picture of leprosy. Sin is horrible down to the very last point. There's no possible way to explain to you how loathsome sin is, but it's in us. Each one of us is a victim of sin because you didn't choose it, but you choose it in another way. You choose it by perpetrating it. So you become not only a victim of it, you become a perpetrator of it, and therefore you agree with Adam. And it's no good looking back and saying, well, Adam's sin changed the world and it's now ruined. No, your sin changes the world and ruins it too. Just the same as his did. No difference. It's just that his was first and more obvious. Yours is kind of hidden in the swirl of everyone doing it. That's just the way sin is. I heard a debate once between famous evolutionary type of atheist guy and a famous Christian scholar and the Christian scholar said something like this God must have created the world because look how perfect everything is the earth is a perfect distance from the Sun so it's not too hot and not too cold and you know everything's in ultimate balance and he went on to describe the precision of the universe look at these photos it's amazing and you listen to what he had to say, it's so true. God created everything. And then the atheist guy said, oh no, everything's so horrible. 
God would never have created a world like this. Hurricanes that come across and kill a thousand people and diseases that sweep through the earth, lions that eat and predate. That's not the type of world any loving God would have created. And I think about that and I think, you know, that's right too. They're both right. How do you harmonise those two things? Sin. Sin is the harmony of those two ideas right there. God did make a precisely perfect world, but sin has ruined it. It's not the world that God made. If someone said God didn't make this world, like that evolutionary atheist guy, they're correct. This is not the world God made. God did make the world, but the world now has changed because of sin, and it's loathsome. So let's go back to Absalom. And we're going to read 2 Samuel 18, 31 to 33. I said David had four sons that died untimely deaths. Absalom's the third of the sons to die an untimely death. If you go read all of 2 Samuel 17 and 18, you'll read the, the story of the battle, Absalom riding through with his long hair, getting stuck in the tree, dangling in the tree, Jarab coming along and spearing him to death with the javelin, hanging out of the tree, all of that stuff. Israel was spared from the mutiny, and then they had to send a runner to David with the message. David was at that present time in the city of Mahanaim, which is my favourite biblical place. That's where David was. And so David's sitting in the gate. They told him he wasn't allowed to participate in the battle. He's waiting for news from the battle. The runner comes running with news from the battle, and this is what happens. Then the Cushite arrived and said, Good news for my lord the king, for the lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And the king was deeply moved and went to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he wept, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, would I have died instead of you? Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David knew it was all his fault. He didn't want to lose the kingdom. He didn't want to be overthrown. But that boy of his died and it was all his fault. It's the unfairness of sin. David knew he'd done the wrong thing. And he could see all the repercussions. He knew God had forgiven him too. Psalm 51, that's his prayer. Um, you know, the prayer where he asked the Lord to forgive him, and the Lord forgave him. He was forgiven. And yet, sin still had its effect. And his son dies in battle, and David knew it was all his fault. Sin's just horrible. There's no such thing as a little sin. The little sins that you have in your life, they ruin stuff. They affect your children. Think about Cain and Abel. There's a sin, first murder. That affected Abel and all of his children that were never born. But also affected Cain and all of his children that were born. Every single one of them is in hell. There's not a single descendant of Cain's that's in heaven. The line of Cain was so evil, God sent a flood and destroyed the world. 
Sin is loathsome. I, I, I don't even know that I've quite got my head around it yet, but I've been meditating on this ever since I did the second Samuel 16 video about the ten concubines on the roof. This just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I've been thinking about it ever since. Sin is bad. We're going to go to Romans, and we're going to read what Paul had to say. And I have skipped a lot of content in my message today. There's lots of things I could have said about this, but in Romans 10... Paul talked a lot about sin and righteousness in the book of Romans. And the whole book of Romans is basically saying Jews are sinners and Gentiles are sinners. The people who have the law, you know, God's dealings, they're sinners because of the law, because the law shows how sinful they are. And the people who don't have the law, the Gentiles, they're sinners because of other reasons. Everyone is a sinner. And then he gets to this point in Romans chapter 3, And I'm going to read it all in just a second, from verse 10 through to verse 18. But the first line of Romans 3.10 says, There is no one righteous, not even one. This is the Jews and the Gentiles. This is every single person that's speaking about you. And then he goes on in this passage, in these next eight verses, to quote about six or seven different places in the Old Testament, all in a Shemozzoli passage put together. You wouldn't notice that. If you're just reading in the book of Romans, you just think Paul's making a bunch of statements, like there's no one one righteous, no, not one. When you look at it closely, he quotes from Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Psalm 5, Psalm 10, Psalm 140, Psalm 36, and Isaiah 59, all in this short passage, all bunched together. He's gone through the Old Testament, found all these bits that talk about wicked people, put them together in a bunch, and given you a little phrase, a little couple of phrases here that's talking about you. And I've been going through the Psalms and the Bible videos, and I, some of these Psalms, like Psalm 36, we're going to read it in just a second, says things like, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. We read things like that in the Psalms, and we think it's talking about some other person. It turns out it's talking about you. It says, their feet are swift to shed blood. You definitely don't think that's you, because you think that you've never shed any blood. The nature of sin is it causes bloodshed. It affects other people. It sheds blood. As we go through this, this passage by Paul, it would be interesting for you to go to the Old Testament and go and read all these various psalms and apply them to yourself. Don't think of the people that, that they were applied to in the mind of the psalmist. Think about it as applying to yourself. This is what Paul says. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave and they use their tongues to deceive. Isn't that terrible? It's you and me. The venom of asps is under their lips, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. That's you and me. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's you and me. That's sin at work in our lives. My dad, you know, he, um, he talks about spiritual warfare and he talks about things like jealousy and, and how, you know, we have to cut things off. 
why do we have to cut things off? Like if someone is out there and has accused you, say someone said something about you that's not true and we have to cut it off, why do we have to do that? Because that's how sin works. When someone sins, it reaches out around them and affects all the people around them. And we've learned in certain circumstances we have to pray and cut that off of our own lives because we recognised it. But it's not as though, oh, that person's a horrible, horrible person that they did that to me. No, it's just that you recognised it, that's all. Everyone's like that. You're like that too. That's why part of the power of cutting off someone else's sin against you is forgiving them. Because if you don't forgive them, you can't cut it off. Because not forgiving is kind of like permission for it to stick to you. You've got to forgive them, otherwise you've got no power at all. The whole spiritual warfare stuff that my dad's talked about many, many times, it's all exactly this same subject, just looking at it from another angle. So I want to finish now by talking about Christ. There's only one person in history who was a victim of sin only and not a perpetrator of sin. Christ. Each one of us were the victim, but then we agreed with it by perpetrating it. But Christ was the victim only, not the perpetrator. And boy, was he a victim. <laughs> He's a victim of the sin of every single person. Your sin didn't only reach out and affect those around you. Your sin reached out and put Jesus Christ on the cross, the creator. If you don't think sin is serious, is serious enough, it took nothing less than the death of the creator to atone for sin. So it's pretty serious. When I cleaned up the poop this morning, it only took me five minutes. But it's taken a lot of effort from God's point of view to clean this mess up. And he, he's paid the price and it's cleaned up from an eternal point of view, but we're still in the, the working out process of it being cleaned up. So we're, we're, we're in the point of view now where if you've given your life to Christ, he's touched you and you're what the Bible calls a new creation. So you're different now. There's life in you now that wasn't in you when you were born. Something's changed. And if you've been born again, you've felt that life. You know how real it is. And yet, you're surrounded by sin and it still affects you. Because the rubbish that comes from other people lands on you. And if you don't forgive them, it affects you more and more. And that's why we've got to walk in, the, we've got to walk in forgiveness. And we have to walk in repentance and stay in the cleanness, in the righteousness of Christ. We have to stay in that place. And you know, the more that people get saved, the more people in the world that come to know him, the better this world becomes. I think that's why the world is on a general trend of improvement. It's because more and more people are coming to know the Lord and it does have an effect. But I was thinking this morning, I'll finish talking about Christ for a minute and then I'll go back and we'll make an application. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he wasn't just dying to forgive you of your sins. People discuss what the cross is all about. 
They've not stopped discussing it for 2,000 years and they'll never stop discussing it. But it gets bigger and bigger on you the more you think about it. Jesus didn't just die to forgive you of your sins. There's a lot more going on than that. Apart from the fact that through sin the devil conquered the world and got his hand on it and Jesus had to come and conquer it back, there's that going on as well. But there's a terrible, terrible disease at work in the world, the nature of sin, that had to be eradicated. So it's not just forgiving you of your sins, it's solving the actual problem of sin itself. So God had to clean up you. God has to clean up the nasty virus, sin. God has to clean up creation itself. And there's a process at work for that. And God has to take care of the original perpetrator, the devil. So at least those four big things are all happening in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus has done is truly wonderful. And you know, in the same way you're a descendant of, Jesus, of Adam and you've got no choice about being born into all the situation you're being born into, it turns out that when Jesus went to the cross, there was a new creation. Jesus actually said, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, he said, Behold, I am making all things new. Isn't that cool? And when you put yourself into Christ, it's kind of like you've become, just like the same, you were a descendant of Adam's. When you become a follower of Christ, you've now kind of like become a descendant of Christ's. You become one of his family. And you become a part of that making all things new process. And that's incredibly wonderful. So I have to say that being in Christ is the only place to be. But at the same time, you have to walk mindful of your sin and to keep a clean heart. It's very, very important. If you don't keep your heart clean, it's not good for you and those around you. So I have a task for you today. And I thought, before I tell you your task, I thought that of all the Bible passages we read today, the one that's probably the best one to remember is the one about Absalom. Because Absalom was a victim, you know, and that David's sin affected his life greatly. And yet Absalom became a perpetrator, the worst of all perpetrators. So nobody really sympathises with Absalom. We all hold him guilty. And he is. And I thought that if you're not in Christ, that's you. You're Absalom. Sure, you're a victim. But no, you're guilty. And you deserve the same end that Absalom met. A sad end. But the, the words that David said about Absalom, his, his great sadness, my son, my son, my son, those are the words of Jesus Christ over you. Those are the words of sadness and regret for every sinner that does not come back to Christ. Not that Jesus caused the sin, just the sadness and the regret over the effect of it in the lives of those people. So I think... The applications this morning are pretty obvious. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to get to know him quick. You've got to bring your life to the foot of the cross and say, God, here I am. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be your follower. But if you know the Lord, 
I think you've got to start considering what sin are you allowing to hang out in your life and not deal with. Because sin's a bit sneaky. It gets in and you don't even know it's there. You've got to take some time and think it through. I'm going to ask Jonathan actually to preach about, to take on from me next week and talk more about this. But don't wait for him. This week I'd like you to take some moments in your personal prayer times and just sit before the Lord and say, ask him the prayer or pray and ask him, show me my sin. And then just deal with the things that he brings to mind. And what I want to do right now, invite the band to come. We'll sing in just a minute. But I want to have a prayer with you. And I want to pray for whatever the obvious sin is in your mind that you're thinking about right now. Everyone right now will have a thought in their mind of something they know that's not quite right about their life. It could be an attitude, a bad attitude. It could be words that you speak. Uh, It could be something you're actually involved in doing right now. There will be a sin in your life right now and it's loathsome. We're going to take a moment right now and pray and bring that sin to the foot of the cross this morning. We're going to ask the Lord to take it from you, forgive you of your sin, and give you grace to walk away from it. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. So it's not just about being forgiven only. It's about being purified. In other words, it's about you getting the help from God so that you've changed You've become a different person. So we don't want to just believe to be forgiven over and over and over and over and over a thousand times. We want to find grace from God so that we change. And we're different. That's available in the cross of Jesus Christ too. Thank God for that. So um, let's sing a verse and a chorus. And then we're going to have a prayer. As we sing the verse in the chorus, you know, you be thinking about what that sin is that you're going to bring to the foot of the cross this morning. We might stand and sing.
let's pray now. Each one, take a moment as the music continues and bring your sin, the one that's in your mind and your heart right now, bring it before the Lord. pray as well as all you know in addition to the prayers of each and every person Lord we ask for the grace of the Lord to be present this morning for each and every heart but we're mindful that we're made of dust and Lord I know that there's a scripture that says smoldering wick you will not snuff out Lord we're all smoldering wicks here Lord we're all weak and very human and Lord mindful that we need your help Lord help us this morning but I thank you Lord for the cross I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ in which there is strength Lord we receive of your strength this morning